You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Wow, I sense hunger in this place tonight. Man, I'll tell you, you know, every year I've had the privilege. Where is Pastor David Perkins? Where are you, David? There you are, bro. I love you so much, man. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just blown away. Where's, where's Pastor Ross? Everything I was going to say, Pastor Ross, you said it. I mean, man, you just took my opening thunder, brother. I'm telling you, that was so good tonight. Amen? <clears throat> because I'm telling you, I, this is what was in my heart and exactly what I was going to say to you is that I know you guys have traveled a long way. You're sleeping in tents. Some of you are sleeping on the ground. And you didn't come all this way just to be in some meetings. You came in here to have your lives transformed. Is that true? Listen, I really believe that this week, weekend, is going to be life transforming with all of my heart. I can't even tell you what I, what I sense in my spirit. But what I was saying to Pastor David is this. I've been to every single desperation conference, but I have not sensed expectancy on the first night like I do right now in any of them. Now you get, need to get excited about that because let me tell you what I've really been praying. I've really been believing and I really feel like this is what God wants. How many of you know it's good to pray what God wants? <laughs> but I've really been sensing that what God wants is He wants to invade this place with His presence. Everybody say presence. There's a scripture that came to my heart as we were worshiping and Moses made this statement. Then Moses said to God, he said, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not bring us up from here. Now, where was here? They were in the middle of the desert, in the middle of parched wilderness. There was only bread that was being rained down for them on a day-by-day -day basis. Every single day for years they had eaten the same bread. They did not have any beautiful scenery. They lived in an absolute place of hardship. Yet Moses said, I would rather be in this place of hardship than to, with, with your presence than to be in the promised land without it. Are you with me? But then he said this. He said, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace? Everybody say grace in your sight except you go with us so we shall be separate your people and I from all the people who are on the face of the earth what makes us separate from all the other people that are on the face of the earth the presence of God in the New Testament Jesus said one more thing the love of God because where there is genuine love that is where you're going to find His presence. Can you say amen? I'm not talking about the world's kind of love. I'm talking about the love of God. Are you with me? Now, I don't know why they do this, but they always ask me to speak on the first night in the past, and I'm glad. Because, you know, as I was praying, and I've been really praying about these meetings and really meditating, I really felt that God wanted me to bring some things to you tonight that are really going to help lay a level playing field for the rest of the conference. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because I sense that what God wanted to do is get everybody to a place where they were wide open to receive from Him. Are you following me? And I know you're here from all different kinds of walks. Some of you have just been saved. Some of you may not even be saved. Some of you have been saved for years. And what I believe God wants to do is bring us all to that place where we're on the same 
field where he can minister to everyone else. Are you following me? You know, Lisa and I and our children are here, and we are just literally on a high. We just came back where I was ministering at the Hillsong Conference in Sydney, Australia. It was about 35,000 people down there, I think, between the two evening services. It was absolutely amazing. We felt like we were living in heaven on earth for one solid week. And I'm just going to kind of come at you tonight from the overflow because we just got back last week. Are you with me? But this is really what I sense that God wanted me to talk to you about tonight, and that is this. I want, I've got a PowerPoint, first of all, because I'm going to say this. I'm going to go through a whole lot of Scripture tonight, all right? And rather than you having to turn in your Bibles and wrestle with your Bibles, what I'd rather you do is I hope you've got pen, and I hope you've got a paper, because I want you to write down these Scriptures, because we're going to go through a lot tonight. Because let me tell you something. I'm going to bring some things to you tonight that may rock your world. Matter of fact, I hope it rocks your world. All right? Are you with me? And the thing is, I find whenever you're doing something like that, you better, you better base it with the Word of God. Are you following me? I just want to say this before I get into the message that God's put in my heart. I want to introduce my wife, Lisa. Lisa, would you stand up and would you say hello to Lisa? Now, here's the deal. You know, people tell me this all the time. We go to places, they say, John, you're, re- you're good, but Lisa's really good. And the thing is, you get to hear her twice tomorrow. You only... All right, I'm only speaking once. They, they knew how good she was, so they said, Lisa, we want you to speak twice. So I think you're speaking at 9, and what time? 3.45, okay? And sitting next to my wife is a woman that I want to honor because the Bible says to give honor to where honors due. Becky Terabasi, would you set up, stand up? Would you welcome Ter- Becky Terabasi? Let me, let me say this. Becky has been traveling for 30 years. Am I correct in saying that? 30... 30 years, and she started when she was five, but anyway, um, and, but she speaks at ca- campuses all over the United States bringing the gospel of Jesus, and young people absolutely love her, and so she's here with Lisa tonight as a guest, and I just want to make sure that we introduced her, all right? Are you ready for the word of God? Oh, I, I, that's not good enough. Are you ready for the word of God? Now, that's the way I like you to talk back to me, all right? Before I begin to preach, I want to pray, all right? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much, for the, first of all, for the privilege of being your children. I'm asking tonight, Lord God, that you would literally invade this sanctuary. It is your presence that we desire. And so, Lord, I'm asking that as you minister to every person under the sound of my voice, that you will anoint our eyes to see, that you will anoint our ears to hear, and that you will give us a heart to perceive and understand what you are saying. And Father, as Pastor Ross shared with us, as we behold Jesus, may we go from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the living God. And Father, I am praying this night that the kingdom of God would manifest in this place. I speak to all forces, all opposing forces that would try to keep the Word of God from gaining into the hearts of young men and women in this place. I bind you forces in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For I decree this night that the kingdom of God is manifested in this place and the will of God shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And I thank you for it, Holy Spirit, tonight. I thank you for glorifying Jesus. And I give you the praise and I give you the glory and the honor and the thanksgiving. And I ask this all in the mighty, wonderful, matchless, majestic name of Jesus. And everybody that agrees, shout! Amen. Now, come on, thank God for what He's going to give you tonight. Come on, thank Him. Amen. Amen. All right, now, hopefully this PowerPoint's up. Do you see a PowerPoint up there? You don't see a PowerPoint, all right? Yeah, you see it, all right, that's good. All right, hopefully you guys can put the PowerPoint up here so I can see it too. 
But anyway, we're going to start tonight from a verse of Scripture here in, out of 2 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the 5th verse. And the Spirit of God has just riveted this in me. Now, I'm going to say this. I, I, I want you to hear me tonight, okay, young men and women? The Bible says, Paul makes it very clear that the way we present every man and every woman perfect in Christ is that we warn and we te teach. Everybody say, warn and we teach. Now, I'm going to say this. I've come to like the warning or, or the teachings. You know, teachings are great. But I'm going I'm to tell you, as a young man, I remember I didn't like the warnings of my parents. You know, teachings were okay. I tolerated that, but I didn't like the warnings very much. But you know what I learned later in life? is that It was the warnings that saved my life. And uh, tonight may fall under that category of a warning. And I want to say this tonight. I believe tonight is going to be a very, very, very positive message. Everybody say positive. But you could see it as a negative message. Are you with me? I remember when I first got my first laptop computer, it had windows on it. And I remember I, I could open up that computer, I could turn it on, I could open up, you know, move the pointer around, open up a few programs, and that was basically about it. But then I sat down next to a guy who was an expert in computers. And I remember that guy started saying, let me show you what you can do. And he started pointing to these uh, different programs, and he started opening this up and started doing these things. And I said, whoa, dude, I can do that? He said, yeah, you could have done it all along. And then he did something else, and I said, whoa, I can do that? He said, John, you could have done it all along. And then he did something else, he said, he, he did it, he, he said, I said, whoa, I could do it. He said, John, you could have done it all along. And so I, what I'm saying to you tonight is I'm going to bring something to you tonight that you've had in you, if you're truly a born-again child of God. All right? But Paul, in this scripture that we've got up on the board, makes a very interesting statement to the church. Everybody say the church of Corinth. Now, this is not the world. This was not written to the city. This was written to the church. And look what he says in the Second Corinthians, the 13th chapter, the 5th verse. He said, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's a heavy statement. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. And then he said, bluntly, test or examine yourself. This is what I want to do tonight. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do with every single one of you that's in this place. Is he wants you to examine yourself. What I'm going to bring to you tonight is not for you to examine the person sitting next to you. It's for you to examine your own life. It's not for you to examine your pastor. It's for you to examine your own life. It's not for you to examine your parents. It's for you to examine your own life. Because what I'm going to ask every one of you to do tonight is I'm going to ask you to open up your hearts and say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to allow you by the power of your word to examine my life. Are you with me? I'm going to ask two basic questions at the beginning of this message. I want you to write these questions down if you've got a notebook and paper. First question I want to ask you is, do you know God? I want you to say that with me. Do I, everybody, do I know God? Second question I want to ask you is, are you saved by grace? I want you to say this with me. Am I saved by grace? Let the examination begin. Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter. The 14th verse, very familiar portion of Scripture. Paul writes to us and says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, what in the world does the word yoked mean? We don't use that today. It just means connected with. It means to participate with. It means you're teamed up with somebody. Are you following me? Do not be teamed up or don't be connected together with unbelievers. For what fellowship... Or what participation has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion 
has light with darkness? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you, listen to these words, you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, now look at this, notice that Paul said God has said this. Everybody say, God said. This is not an originating thought that the Holy Spirit is giving to the Apostle Paul. If you go through your Bible, you will find out that this is repeated over and over and over and over again. All through the book of Exodus, throughout the Old Testament. This is God's passion. Everybody say passion. How many of you know he is passionate? Are you with me? This is his passion. He said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, do you notice this is not in a present tense, but a futuristic tense? Do you see this? I know that we all understand that if we are truly born again, that God does dwell in us, and that He does walk among us. He is our God, and we are His people. But if you go back into the Old Testament, you will find what He is talking about here is His glory. Everybody say, glory. Now you have to understand there's something about the glory of God that I think a lot of believers are very unaware of. God has destined us to be able to dwell with Him in His glory. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is Revelations 22.4 where it says at, in, 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 in the new Jerusalem the saints of God will behold His face. We will literally look upon His face. Now this is what Moses wanted, but God said, you can't see it. So I'm just going to show you my backside. And the backside was so amazing that Moses came down the mountain. His face shone so brightly, they had to put a veil over it. They had to put a curtain over his face. It's amazing. This is what God has called us to, his glory. What God is preparing you for. Everybody say, the goal of God... His goal is to prepare you so that you can dwell with Him, walk with Him in His glory. If you remember when Jesus was raised from the dead, do you remember what happened? He was on the seaside, okay? That's a tongue twister. He was on the seaside, and the disciples were out fishing, and He said, throw the net on the other side, and Peter goes, or John goes, it's the Lord, and Peter jumps out of the boat, remember? And Jesus cooks some breakfast, Right? But remember, he was raised from the dead, but then later John saw him on the island of Patmos, and he said when he saw him, his face shone like the sun. His voice was the sound of many waters. Are you with me? That was Jesus in his glory. When he was at the seaside, that was not Jesus in his glory. This is what God desires for you, is for you to be able to walk with him in his glory. You know, this... this is the God who the angels still cry out, holy, holy, holy. And they shake a throne room that can hold over a billion people by the voice of him who cries out. God's preparing us for that. So God says, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Paul is saying, or God is saying through the Apostle Paul, because I'm preparing you for this, he goes on to say, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, who is them? What he just wrote about. Unbelievers, darkness, idolatry. 
Now, does that mean that we cannot hang around people who are non-Christians? Absolutely, 1,000 times, no. As a matter of fact, we should be. Jesus said, go into the world, but don't be of it. Are you with me? I look at my third board son. He's in public school, and he absolutely loves it. Why? Because he gets to lead people to Jesus all the time. If he's going to a Christian school, he may not be able to do that. You understand what I'm saying? We should be out there among them. But when he says, come out from among them and be separate, he's saying what? He's saying, don't participate in what they participated. Don't live for what they live for. They live for something totally different. You're of another world. Live like a person from another world in among them and bring them up to your level. I'm preaching. Is anybody here tonight? Therefore, come out from among them says, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Now, do you notice this is a conditional promise? God says, I will receive you if you come out from among them. Or in other words, I will not receive you if you don't. Why? Because God says without holiness, you're not going to see me. Good place to say amen. Let's continue to read the next verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Very next verse, next frame. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? The promises that I will dwell in you, I'll walk among you, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Those are the four promises. I will dwell in you in your glory. Having these promises, Paul says. Look what he goes on to say. Let us cleanse ourselves. Everybody say cleanse ourselves. No, that's not everybody. Everybody say cleanse ourselves. Now say it one more time. Matter of fact, say it one more time. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. Now does it say let us cleanse ourselves from 90% filthiness? How about 99%? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Boy, that's heavy. Gossip is a filthiness of the spirit. Hatred, lying, unforgiveness. These are filthy things that pollute and filth your spirit. Are you with me? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Everybody say holiness. Now listen to me. Another word for holiness is sanctification. So say that with me. Sanctification. So look up at me. There's two words. They're identical. They're, simil- they're synonyms. Holiness and sanctification. You got it? Alright? Watch this. Perfecting holiness or sanctification in the fear of the Lord. Now notice, holiness is perfected in the fear of the Lord, not in the love of God. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Let me say this. The fear of the Lord is not to be scared of God. It's scared to be away from God. It's when you, you reverence Him. You're in awe of Him. You tremble at His word and His presence because of your great respect for Him. Are you with me? Now, I want to back up and look at what Paul said. He said, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Everybody say, cleanse ourselves. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Do you notice that Paul doesn't say, having these promises, therefore, beloved, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Did you notice that? I didn't hear anybody. Did you notice that? Well, now, wait a minute, John. Are you telling me that the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse me from sin? No, I'm not telling you that. And I don't want you to ever think that. 
But what I am going to say is this, don't confuse the work of justification with the work of sanctification. You say, John, those are big words. I don't get those words. Let me help you. What is justification? Justification is what happened to you the moment you were saved. The moment you received Jesus Christ into your life. At that very moment, a miracle, a literal miracle was done. The old you died, even though your hair color didn't change, your voice didn't change, even though the clothes you were wearing didn't burn up and new ones immediately appear. Nothing changed outwardly. What changed? Inwardly, you became a brand new child of the King. Literally, everything old was gone and you became a brand new person created in the image of God. You were justified by what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary by shedding His blood. You were made a brand new person, clean and pure in the eyes of God. Are you with me? But at that moment that you were justified, the moment you were saved, at that moment, the work of sanctification began. What is sanctification? That is what was done on the inside of you works its way out when people can see it, where your behavior begins to change. Are you with me? That's the work of sanctification. Now, the work of justification, you had nothing to do with it. That was complete miracle done by God. You had nothing to do by just surrendering your life was all you had to do. The work of sanctification, you have to cooperate. I said, the work of sanctification, you have to cooperate. That's why Paul doesn't say, God will cleanse you. He says, you must cleanse yourselves. Everybody say, cleanse myself. Now look up at me. How in the world do we cleanse ourselves? Well, you know what I find amazing? Is most of the time when the writers of the Bible write something, because how many of you know God never gives us a commandment that's impossible? I didn't hear everybody on this one. God never gives us a command that's impossible. Boy, you think about that. Anything you find in the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament's not the case. They couldn't keep the commandments of God. But anything God says in the New Testament, you can keep it. So when God says cleanse yourself from all, not 50%, not even 90%, not even 99%, guess what? You have the ability to cleanse yourself from all filthiness. So the question you ask is, how do I do it? I mean, John, I've tried. I mean, I've got, like Pastor Parsley said, I've got bondages I'm wrestling with. I've got this, I've got that. I've tried. Well, the problem is that's why you've not been able to do it because you've been trying. See, now, whenever Paul is writing and telling us to do something, you know, usually he gives you the answer somewhere in the vicinity of where he tells you to do it. And you know he does that? You just got to look back a few verses because this is one long letter. Look at the sixth chapter, the first verse. Look what Paul makes the statement. Look what he says. He says, six sixth chapter he says we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain look at the last statement we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain now can I make this statement the majority of American believers, evangelical, spirit-filled, when they read this verse of Scripture, it goes way over their heads. They don't have a clue to what Paul is saying. Do you want to know why they don't understand what Paul is saying? Well, first of all, let me say this. He says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. What does it mean to receive something in vain? It means you don't use its full potential. So the reason this scripture goes way over people's heads is because of our warped, misguided, misunderstanding of what the grace of God is. Do you know what most believers believe the grace of God is in America? Do you know what they believe it is? They believe it's the big cover-up. 
Do I need to help you with that? Okay, let me help you. I know I'm not quite living the way I should, but thank God for His grace. They see grace as the big cover-up of their rebellious, disobedient lifestyle. I have news for you tonight. That is about the furthest thing from the truth. Grace is not the big cover-up. It is not that which covers us from our willful disobedience or rebellion. So then we got to ask, what is grace? Well, let me first of all tell you what the original word of grace is. It's the Greek word charis. That's where it's used most of the time in the Bible. That's where in Ephesians it says you're saved by grace. And, and this, in this scripture right here, the exact word is charis again. That word is defined by the Strong's Dictionary because I find the Strong's Dictionary to be very faithful and very accurate with, uh, with Greek words. But look what Strong's defines the Greek word charis that was translated grace as. Look at this. The divine influence upon the heart with or and its reflection in the life. Let's look at this again. The divine influence upon the heart with its reflection in the life. Let me give you a more easily understood definition of what true grace is. Grace is God's empowering presence that gives us the ability to do what truth demands of us. Do I need to say that again? Grace is God's empowering presence that gives us the ability to do beyond our ability. See, the problem is, the reason you couldn't cleanse yourself is because you were doing it in your own ability. But when you understand grace is God's empowering presence that gives you the ability to do what truth demands of us, then you can understand what Paul's saying here. When he says, are you with me? Because when you hear the word, when you hear Paul say, don't receive the grace of God in vain, if you see it as the big cover-up, how are you supposed to receive that in vain? How do you not use its full potential if it's the big cover-up? Now let me prove to you that this is truly what grace is by just going through a couple of what the writer said in the New Testament. And I think the first person we should start with is Jesus. Wouldn't you agree? Let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew, the 7th chapter. Look at the 20th verse. He said, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. How do you know a true believer? Come on. You just read it, so say it. Everybody say it. Now, wait a minute. You mean you don't know a true believer by the fact that they go to youth group? You don't know a true believer by the fact they said a sinner's prayer? You don't know a true believer because their parents are elders in the church and they go to Christian school? You don't know a true believer because they listen to Hillsong and United and they wear Christian t-shirts? How do you know a true believer? By their fruit. Look what he goes on to say. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, do you see the word Lord twice there? Hi, Britt. Do you see the Lord, word Lord twice there? Come on, I didn't hear everybody. Do you see the word Lord twice there? Do you know this is a Hebrew form of writing? Do you know whatever the Hebrews wrote, if they wanted to emphasize a word, they'd write it twice? Did you know that? See, today, in our English language, we don't do that. We italicize, we boldface, we put an exclamation mark. But when the Hebrew writers wanted to emphasize a word, they would write it twice. If you were Matthew on the mountain there with Jesus when he was saying this you would have heard Jesus say something like this he would have said not everyone who says to me Lord shall enter the kingdom and Matthew goes whoa he said Lord strong there so he writes it twice because you know the way people are in church 
Well, the Lord said this to me. The Lord told me that. The Lord had put this. He did this for me today. Just the word Lord, 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 Lord. Speaking of Jesus constantly, are you right? But look what Jesus said. He says, not, put it up again, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what Jesus just did right there? He just blew about 25 years of theology right down the tubes. I'm talking about theology that we got in our, our charismatic, spirit-filled, evangelical churches. Because you know what the goal of the evangelical churches have been for the last 20, 30 years? Get him to pray the prayer, baby. And so, you know what preachers have ended up doing? We preach Jesus like a used car salesman. And we preach these messages of come to Jesus and get. He'll bless you. He'll heal you. He'll give you joy. He'll take away your sorrow. Will Jesus do all of that? Absolutely. But He never intended us for, for us to preach Him as a used car salesman. I mean, if Jesus would have been like that, when the rich young ruler would have come up, He would have said, oh man, let me tell you how to get saved, buddy. I want you to give the things to your poor, but you're going to get a hundredfold, man. And I'm going to bless you. He didn't say that. He said, sell what you have, give it to, give it to the poor, take up the cross and follow me. Wasn't very inviting. Wasn't a used car sales pitch. Are you with me? So this is what we've done. We've almost sold Jesus. We get up and say, he'll bless you, he'll heal you for 40, 45 minutes. And then we say, everybody bow your heads. Everybody bow their heads. And then they say, have you ever heard this? The preacher will say, look to the person to your right and ask him, if you die tonight, you go to heaven? You die tonight, you go to heaven? And the guy looks back and goes, no! And then the preacher goes, if they can't say yes, if they say no, grab them by the hand and bring them down. And so they come down, and we sing these songs, you know, and everybody's feeling really good, and all these people come down. And then the preacher prays this formula of prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me out of my sin. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for making me a child of God. And everybody's all excited. And then they go back to their seats just as they were, just as they were, just as they were. What's the difference now? They're deceived. We've said nothing about repentance. We've said nothing about surrendering your life completely to His Lordship. We've just basically invited people to try Him. Jesus made it clear. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going, in, going to heaven. So let me put it to you this way. Not everybody has prayed the sinner's prayer is going to heaven. Because in the sinner's prayer, we say, He's Lord. Are you still with me? You're just listening real good, right? Put the scripture back up. Now, this raises a question for me. No, 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 take away the second one. Guys, just the first one. I didn't ask for the second one yet. All right. We got to go. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Thanks, guys. You're getting there. Grant, you're doing great. All right, look at this. Alright, look at Matthew 7, 21. Therefore, by the fruits you'll know them. Keep going. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's very clear. Not everybody who confesses him as Lord. Keep that up for me, guys. Not everybody who confesses him as Lord is going to heaven. So this is my question. Who's then going to heaven? If not everybody confesses Jesus as Lord is going to heaven, then who's going to heaven? That's what I want to know. Do you know Jesus answers that question? Look at Now you can put the next one up. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So you know what Jesus is saying? Not everybody that confesses me is going to heaven, but everybody that confesses and does. It's not just confessing that gets us there. It's confessing and doing. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, John. That sounds a little bit to me like works. You're getting it. You're getting it. You're getting it. 
Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait. No, 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 no. I'm not going back to being Catholic. Okay? I'm just reading the Bible to you, all right? So it's not just confessing. It's confessing and doing. Come on, talk to me. I didn't say it. Jesus said it, okay? I'm just, I'm just the messenger boy here. Okay? Now, let me show you some examples Jesus gives of what he just said there, okay? If we go to Matthew chapter 5, if you go to Matthew chapter 5, you're going to notice something. There's a pattern established by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Look at this. He says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, verse 22, but I say to you. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, look at verse 28, but I say to you. Are you seeing this? Now look at the next, verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said to those of old, verse 32, but I say to you. It keeps going. Look at this. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, verse 39, but I tell you. And you're going to see this pattern keeps going through the rest, almost half the book, or half the chapter. Are you with me? What is Jesus doing? Look up at me. What is Jesus doing? He is comparing life under the law with life under grace. Are you with me? When he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, he's talking about life under the law. For the law was given by who? Who is the law given by? Moses. We know that from John 1.17. Look at this. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, everybody say grace, and truth came through Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, you have heard it, it's been said to those of old, he's talking about, hey, this is life under the law. This is what Moses gave. But when he says, but I say to you, he said, this is going to be the way it is with life under grace. Are you getting this? So let me just look at the first two. Let's look at the first one. Look at the next screen. The first one in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, watch this, you have heard that it was, you have heard that the law of Moses says, do not murder. Now watch this. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, look up at me. In order to be a murderer under the law, you had to take a knife and physically take somebody's life, right? That means you a murderer, right? But look what Jesus says. But I say to you, here's life under grace. All right? If you're angry with someone, you're in subject to judgment. If you call someone idiot, you're in danger of being before the high council. And if you curse somebody, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You know what he's saying? Under the law, in order to be considered murder, you had to take somebody's physical life. Under grace, all you have to do is be prejudiced. Or any other form of hatred. John confirms this in his little book. He says, you hate your brother, you're a murderer, and don't even think you've got eternal life abiding in you. See, under the old covenant, you had to physically take their life to be a murderer. Under the new covenant, all you have to do is hate them. I know. So, so what's a higher standard? Law or grace? Why is grace a, hi a higher standard? Because we got the power to live it. What, what are we finding out? We're finding out what's on our laptop, baby. Are you getting this? See what you got in you? Look, let's look at the next one. Look at this next one. He said, Jesus said, you've heard that the law of Moses says, do not commit adultery. Now, under the law, to commit adultery, what did you have to do? You had to jump in bed with another woman that wasn't your wife, and you were an adulterer, correct? Look what Jesus says. But I say to you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So under the law, you had to jump in bed with a woman that wasn't your wife, and you were an adulterer. Under the new covenant, all you have to do is look with lust with desire undress her with your eyes 
So under the law, uh, under the law, you had to literally jump in bed with somebody that wasn't your wife. Under the new covenant, all you have to do is want to do it. What's a higher standard? What's a higher standard? Grace. Why? Because He's given us the power to live it. That's what grace does. Are you seeing this? You know, a couple years ago, a couple years ago, um, um, I was in prayer, and the Lord made two statements to me in prayer. And the first statement shocked me. And the second statement totally changed my whole life. Okay? Matter of fact, when He made the first statement to me, it so shocked me, I didn't believe it. So I had to go the Bible and make sure what I heard was accurate. You understand what I'm saying? The Lord made a statement to me, and I thought, that can't be true. And I went to the Bible to make sure it was true, and it was, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the scriptures I had to read before I tell you what he said to me. Can I do it backwards? All right, we're going to go to the book of Revelations. Everybody listen to me. In the book of Revelations, there are seven churches that Jesus personally writes letters to. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you will notice later that the words are in red. That means... That John is writing them, but he's playing secretary. He's taking dictation. These are straight from the mouth of Jesus. Now, these are seven historic Asian churches. If these messages were only to those historic churches, God never would have put them in the Bible. The very fact that they are in the Scripture means what? They have prophetic application. They apply to us today. Are you with me? I want you to notice what Jesus says to all seven churches. Watch this. First, oh guys, you put them all up there. Okay. All right, we won't do them one at a time. Revelations chapter 2, verse 1. To the, it's the top one. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? I know your what? Everybody say it. Everybody say it. All right, look at the second one. Revelations 2, 8, 9. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, right? I know your what? Oh, look at the next one. Revelations 2, 12, and 13. To the angel of the church of Pergamos, right? I know your what? Whoa, wait a minute. Look at the fourth one. Revelations 2, 18, 19. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira, right? I know your what? Whoa! Maybe you'll change on the next one. Revelations 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church of Sardis, right? I know your what? Wow. Revelations 3, 7. And the, and the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right? I know your what? Maybe the last one will be different. Revelations 3, 14, 15. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right? I know your what? I know you're what I want to hear everybody say it. Now you know what the Lord already said to me, the first, the first thing he said to me. He said, son, did you notice the first words out of my mouth to all seven churches in the book of Revelations were, I know your works. And I ran over to my Bible and I did exactly what we just did and I went, whoa, that is amazing. Every church he said that to, right? And so I'm sitting there thinking about this. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says this. He said, did you notice I didn't say to one of those seven churches, I know your hearts? I went, oh my, my. And then I started thinking of all the Christians that I knew who justified their ungodly behavior, their worldly lust, with God knows my heart. I thought about this one person in particular. They went to church every time the doors opened. They went to special meetings just like this. And, and they worked for a, a, an international ministry. And I was sitting down with this person. And they had a little loose life. They were a little loose sexually. And I was confronting them about their lifestyle. And finally, I kept going one scripture after another scripture. And finally, this person got so exasperated, they crossed their arms and they said, But John, God knows my heart. Now, can I ask you a question? Look up at me. Can I ask you a question? If you got an apple tree, 
Do you have to go to the apple tree and take a drill? A Sears drill. Craftsman, that's right. And, 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 and drill a hole into the center of that tree to figure out if it's a good tree or not? No, just look at his fruit. That tree could say, hey, listen, listen. God knows my heart. I'm really a good tree. But it's producing all bad fruit, poisonous fruit. No, just look at the fruit. The fruit is evidence of whether it's a good tree or not. Jesus is just coming to this church and saying, I'm examining your works because your works is your evidence of what's really in your heart. You know, I, I remember I was getting ready to preach for this large church in the East Coast and I came into this church on a Sunday morning. I'd never preached in this church before and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to preach this scripture to them. He said, I don't want you to say good morning. I don't want you to introduce yourself. I want you to just preach one scripture. So I said, open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 2. And when I did, I said, I want to show you one verse. I want you to show you this verse. Look at this. Okay? You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Sure is quiet in this Methodist church. Are you still here? Do you want to make sure that that book is in the New Testament? You may want to check it out. James is in the New Testament. Look what he says. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Now, I know some of your heads are really reeling right now. And before you scream heretic and start throwing things at me, can I bring you the full picture? I said, can I bring you the full picture? Because how many of you know that you can preach a half-truth and you can preach it and you can teach it and you can write songs about it and write books about it for years and you preach it so long that, that and how many of you know half-truth can be a falsehood? How many of you know that? And you can preach that half-truth that's a falsehood for so many, not a falsehood, but, but because you only preach it as a half-truth, it becomes a falsehood in some people, right? For so many years that when you bring the real truth in, the people reject the real truth because they've embraced the falsehood. Alright, can I give you the whole picture? Alright, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For we are saved, well, let, let's read it. By, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Look up at me. No man, no woman will ever be able to stand before Jesus and say, my good lifestyle has earned me a place in your kingdom. It is by grace, and by only by grace we are saved. And grace cannot be bought, it cannot be earned. It is a free gift. However, that's the first half. Paul and James and many others come and complete the second half. And James says it beautifully. He says this, look at this. James says, show me your faith or your grace without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works, or I will show you the grace of God by my works. You know what James comes along and says? Look up at me. He's saying, hey, the evidence that I've really received the grace of God is that I've got a lifestyle to show it. Do I need to say that again? James is simply saying, the evidence that I've really received grace, I know you sing about grace, you preach about grace, you write about grace, but the real evidence that I got grace is I got a lifestyle to show it. I've seen more evidence of grace in prisoners' lives in top security prisons than I have in Christian high schools. 
I've preached in top security prisons and it's been easier to preach there than Christian high schools. Why? Because the Christian high schools, we got the name of Christian, our parents are elders, we got the t-shirts, we listen to United, but we're giving oral sex to one another. Well, God knows. God knows my heart. No, He's looking for works. Boy, I feel this. I said I feel this. So put up that PowerPoint. Look at the bottom statement that I make here. Keep going. Works. Guys, you, you were there. Go back. Go back. Go back. It's coming. I'm going to get Britt up here to sing us a song. All right, they're getting real excited. Next one, and stop. Stop! Works. Which, what, are, what is works? Corresponding acts of obedience to the will of God are the evidence that a person truly has the grace of God in their lives. Look up at me. Look up at me. When I used to live in Michigan as a kid, we had lots of blueberry trees. We had another, we had, or bushes. We had another bush though. And this bush produced poisonous berries. And do you know what, what? Those poisonous berries looked a lot like blueberries, but they were a different color. They were reddish purple. And my mom taught me as a young boy, those are poisonous. Don't touch them. Now, I'm going to say this. That bush that, that, that produces those poisonous berries, it cannot produce blueberries. It's impossible. It can sit there and say, I'm going to do my best to make blueberries. I'm going to try real hard. That's how futile it is for a person who's never received the grace of God to try to live a life like Jesus. You can't do it. It's impossible. I remember before I got saved, I was a nice Catholic boy. I went to, you know, midnight mass, drunk, so I could go back to the party and not get up the next morning with a hangover. And I remember, you know, when I used to do things that I knew were really, really bad because I'd read the Bible, and then when I saw the Bible, is a bunch of rules and regulations and a bunch of stories. And whenever I broke those rules and regulations, man, I'd get real sweaty. Like, I remember my dad brought me to the Ten Commandments, you know, with Cecil B. DeMille's, with, you know, Charlton Heston. You, you remember that movie? It was way back, okay? And my dad brings me to this movie. They ran it through a second time like they did the Star Wars the second time. And so my dad, when I was a teenager, I was about 17 years old, that movie came back through, and my dad took me. And I remember, oh, do I remember, when the, when the ground opened up and swallowed them all alive in hell? Let me tell you, the, I was repenting like crazy because I was an unsaved boy. And I remember, I laid, left that movie theater. And my life was changed for about a week. Then I was back to doing everything I did. Why? Because there was no grace. I didn't have the power. Do you see what I'm saying? So, you, you, you can have an evergreen tree, and that evergreen tree says, I'm going to produce apples. I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to think apples. I'm going to think apples. I'm going to think apples. And it can keep trying, and it'll never produce apples. Why? Because of its nature. But the apple tree, does it have to, does it have to, listen, in its own strength work to produce apples? No. 
It just does what God gave it the power to do. Did you ever wonder why Paul says to Titus that let those who name the name of Jesus be careful to maintain good works? The power is already in you to produce it. Just maintain it. Look what John... All right, we talked about what Jesus said. We talked about what John, uh, 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 Jesus said. Yeah, we talked about... Uh, who else have we talked about? James. Now let's look at what the Apostle John says. Look at this. The Apostle John says this. Look at this. Now by this we know that we know him. Now stop right there. Do you see what John is saying? Here's the test. Remember, he, remember what did Paul say in the right in the beginning? Let us examine ourselves, right? All right, here's the test. John the Apostle comes along and says, here's how you can know if you really know Jesus. Are you seeing this? By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know God, I know Jesus, and does not keep his commandments is a liar or he's deceived and the truth isn't in him. How clear does that have to be? You just say, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. But yeah, you're sleeping with every girl. You, you just say, well, you know, I got a weakness. Are you still with me? You know, I was praying for you guys tonight. And I just said, today, I just said, God, I want to see him get saved. Because I'm going to tell you, my heart is just reaching out to you that aren't truly saved. You're getting into examine yourself right now according to the Word of God. Look what John continues to say. He says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. How do we know that we're in him? We keep his word. He who says he abides in Jesus ought himself to walk just as he walked. Listen to what Paul said to Titus. Look at this. Paul says to Titus, this is amazing. For God has revealed his grace for salvation of all people. Now look at verse 12. That grace instructs us. Everybody say instructs us. All right, what do instructors do? They empower us. That grace empowers us to give up ungodly living and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this world. Good. What does the grace of God do? It empowers us. Everybody say, empowers us. To live what? A self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this world. It teaches us to give up ungodly living and worldly passions. That's why Paul continually says, don't live like you used to live. Don't live like the Gentiles live. They live for the day. They live to satisfy and gratify the appetites of their flesh. You live to advance the kingdom and glorify your king. You know, the apostle Paul said something else to a guy named Timothy. Look what he said. Look at this. I think we got this up there. Yeah. Look at this. You should know this. Now, guys, don't go any further until I tell you. You should know that also... Let, let me stop there. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Look up at me. Look up at me before we go any further. Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, this is... Actually, in other translations, he says, the Spirit of God expressly speaks that in the last times... He expressly speaks that in the last days very difficult times will come. Everybody look up at me. Paul looks at our day prophetically and says, it's going to be difficult. Do you, do you ever read in the Bible what Paul went through? 
I mean, the guy was whipped with 39 lashes five times. Now, you know when they whipped dudes back then? Oh, they had what they called a whipping post. In a whipping post, they tied a rope around their wrists and they strung them up so that their tiptoes just dangled, right? And so their whole back is just nice and tight. So when the cat of nine tails comes across their flesh, it splits the flesh open just like that. 39 times, five different occasions. He said, three times I was beaten with rods. You know why they beat people with rods back then? To bruise their bones. Anybody ever in here, in here ever bruise a bone? A few of you. You know it's excruciating, the pain, don't you? I remember when I was building out a room in our house, I was trying to be Mr. Handyman, and one of the guys in my staff knew a lot about building, so I said, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to do this. And I had the, 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 the nail gun. You know, the thing goes psh, right into wood. I had it backwards. And I clammed down on that thing, and that thing shot right into the middle of my middle finger bone. I went, ah. And I remember pulling it out of my bone. Okay, that morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, listen, you, my wife's sitting right here. She's a witness. Nothing wakes me up. You can have a tornado out our window, and it won't wake me up. That morning, I was at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was woke up by the pain. It was excruciating. I couldn't move my finger, not even that much, for six weeks. I looked at, look at my wife. She, Lisa's very medical. She, she, she has medical training. I looked at her and I said, Babe, well, I live with this the rest of my life. That I will never be able to move my finger again. She says, No, you bruised your bone. And when you bruise your bone, the pain is excruciating. But it will one day go away. Well, I was grateful for the hope. The reason they beat those guys with rods was to bruise their bones. Are you with me? Three times. Can you imagine the third time? Okay, here we go again. He was stoned. Can you imagine people bowling, throwing big stones at you just because you preach? And he was left dead. He gets up and walks out of town, goes to the next town, keeps preaching. And he looks at my day and says, my day is going to be difficult. I go, hold it. What are you talking about? My day is going to be not only difficult, very difficult. Look at the scripture. It's still up there, I hope. Look at it. Read it again. You should know also this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, this is what I want to know. Why are they going to be difficult? He tells you. Keep reading. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. They will be disobedient to their parents. And they will be ungrateful. In other words, unthankful. They will consider nothing sacred. In other words, they've lost the fear of God. Keep going. I hope. All right. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, gossip, and have no self-control, pornography, all that other stuff. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Now, 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 stop, guys. Look up at me. Don't look up yet anymore. Look up at me. How many of you say that describes our society? But the thing is, he's not talking about society because look what he says. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. What is the power that will make them godly? The grace of God. Ah! 
In other words, they will deny the power of God that will make them lovers of pleasure only to lovers of people. They will deny the power that will make them unthankful to thankful. They will deny the power that would make them from unholy to holy. And etc, etc, etc. They'll deny the power of grace that will make them from being disobedient to parents to very submitted and honoring of parents. You still here? I remember I was on a radio interview and I was talking about this on the radio interview in a big city in the southern United States and this guy was the first call in and he was furious at me. He said, how can you honestly say this? What about the guy, he said, that's got an addiction and he just can't get over it? And he's so angry at me right? I said, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Wait a minute. I'm missing something here. Are you trying to tell me that there are some addictions that the grace of God can get us free from, but there's other addictions that are just too powerful for the grace of God, and the blood of Jesus isn't powerful enough to get us free? When I said that, he realized how stupid he was acting. Totally went quiet. Quiet. I said, don't do that, man. I've seen, too many, I've seen too many people's lives totally changed by the grace of God. No, the grace of God is power enough, powerful enough to change anybody's life. But I was getting ready to speak for Pat Robertson at 700 Club, and I was in the Heritage Hotel, and the Holy Spirit said, well, the people are just a product of what you've preached. I said, excuse me? He said, the people are just a product of what you've preached. He said, I said, my word is a seed. He said, if you tell people the grace of God is just a big cover-up, he said, then you're going to have people that are in bondage to drugs, bondage to pornography, bondage to alcohol, bondage to hating their, their brothers and sisters, bondage to refusing to forgive and can't get out of it. Why? Because they see the grace as a big cover-up. He said, but when you preach, this gospel is the power of God. He said, then people will get free. He said... If you plant a peach seed, you get a peach tree. He said, if you tell people that grace is just a big cover-up, then you get a weak church that can't stand up against sin when I paid such a great price to give them the power to walk as I walked. Now let's go back. Let's go back to what Paul said, the original verse, 1 Corinthians 6.1. Let's go back. Hopefully this is the next frame. I hope it is. Okay, now let, 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 let's read this. Stop there, guys. The grace of God is God's unmerited favor. How many of you know you can't earn grace? Right? Because we can never earn it or buy it. Keep reading. But once we've received grace, we are empowered to walk a life like Jesus walked. You're finding out what you got on your laptop tonight, buddy. I said you're finding out what you got on your laptop tonight. See, this is the thing that upsets me. You know, I used to be a youth pastor. And I saw these guys come into our youth group. And you know what these guys would do? They'd seduce girls in bed with them. And these guys would come in. They, they could cry. They could turn the tears on. They could talk the talk. They could sing. They could be right down with everybody else worshiping. And yet, I remember this one particular guy. I had to deal with him. He, he took three girls that were virgins to bed with him. 
And I threw him out of the youth group. I said, you're gone. You, goodbye. You're not coming back. You will not set foot in this youth group because you have no repentant heart. But unfortunately, those girls didn't understand what true grace was. They didn't understand that Jesus said, see, I wasn't smart enough to preach this to them back then. That Jesus said, you recognize them by their fruits. I was so enamored by people going, shundai, shundai. Singing the praise songs of the day. Wearing the Jesus t-shirts. And, and actually being good looking guys and had muscles. I thought, well, man, we got some great guys in our youth group. We got some great girls in our youth group. Man, she's beautiful. And this got some cool kids in my youth group. I didn't realize. Jesus simply said, you'll know them by the fruits. You know who's got to know I'm a man of God before anybody else? It's right here. They're all sitting right here. Lisa and my four boys. What am I living at home? Do I make mistakes? Let me make this very clear because I was going to get to this later, but I'm going to get to it now. How many of you know a good apple tree can every once in a while produce a few bad fruit? A few bad apples. Do I make mistakes? Oh, yeah. I made, I made a good one this week. I had to repent before my wife and two people on my staff because of one thing I did. Because you know what the Bible says? If we confess our sins. John said, he said, these things I write to you that you don't sin. The goal is not to sin. He said, but if we do sin. So this is the way most people interpret that. These things I write to you that when you do sin, we got an advocate. That's not what he said. He said, these things I write to you so that you don't sin. But if you do, we got an advocate. And you know what's beautiful? You go to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And you know what he does? He cleanses you and forgives you and that sin is gone it is buried in the sea of forgetfulness and you know what's really amazing if you sin seven times 70 times which is 490 times in one day he'll still forgive you as long as you sincerely every single time say I am so sorry I don't, I, I don't think a person could sin 490 times a day and sincerely say to God I'm sorry so what Jesus is illustrating there is that this you really have a repented part and that God's forgiveness is inexhaustible but when you got people that are just going dude man I'm covered by grace I got needs. I'm a male. That's, that's, that is dangerous waters. That's why Paul said, examine yourselves. Okay, so let's look. Put, put the PowerPoint button. Now let's go back to our original scripture. Okay, are you okay? Am I preaching too long? Okay, I'm going to try to wrap it up in the next five minutes, seriously. But let's go back to our original scripture. Maybe ten minutes, okay? <laughs> Second, remember, I only get to speak once. Lisa gets to speak twice because she's so good. So I'm going to get all of it in, in one session, okay? So 2 Corinthians 6.1, are you seeing this? We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. When you see grace as the big cover-up, how can you ever not use its full potential if it's the big cover-up? But when you understand grace as being God's empowering presence that gives us the ability to do what truth demands of us, then you can understand how you cannot use its potential. Are you with me? Let me give you an example that perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about. Look up at me. Every one of you, look up at me. Look up at me. Don't you let your body get tired. I'm going to give you... Let, let, let's, let me tell you a little story. There's a guy living on a mountain. Okay? It's a volcanic mountain. Kind of like Mount St. Helens. And the guy's got a little A-frame cabin. And uh, he's got his little TV with the rabbit ear antennas. He's got the local weather. And he's 
got his TV and the emergency broadcast system goes off. You know what that is? That's when your TV goes beep, 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 right? And they have a big little warning sign that comes right across. It says warning, 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 right? Tornado coming or something like that, right? Well, his TV goes beep, 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 and the guy runs in and it says warning. Scientists have determined the, the mountain is volcanic and it's about to blow its top. And this is the big one. If you are not, listen to me, the TV says, if you are not 200 miles from the base of the mountain by morning, or within the next 24 hours, you will be completely obliterated. Because remember, Mount St. Helens, when it blew, everything, 300 miles one side was completely destroyed, right? Now, here's this guy watching this. Shock doesn't describe what he's going through. Terror, yes. Why? Because he knows if he hits his front door and he's running, he can't run 200 miles in the next 24 hours. And he doesn't own a car. He is looking at this TV and going, I know how I'm going to perish. I'm going to be destroyed by hot molten lava. There is no way. I am doomed. And there is no way I can ever save myself. Are you with me? He's hopeless. He has no hope. Are you following this? But then a knock comes at his door. And he opens up the door. The guy's hopeless. He opens up the door. And there's this guy standing there with a set of keys in his hands. Right? And the guy looks at him and he says, You know, I know your condition. I know you're hopeless and I know you can never save yourself. Here, the keys are yours. The guy goes, I can't pay you for that car. And the guy at the front door goes, I'm not selling it. It's a gift. And the guy looks at him and goes, why would you give me your car? And the guy with the keys goes, because I really love you. Here. And so he receives the keys. He goes, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. He's so excited. He runs out. Gets in the glove compartment, the owner's manual. Reads the book. Makes sure he knows how the car works. Gets his map out. Shh, plots the best route out calls his friends goes I'm saved you gotta hear about this he does this for 24 hours the mountain blows and he's completely obliterated what do the people say down at the bottom that knew he was given that car he received the car in vain he didn't use its potential This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. God has given you His grace so that you can cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. But you must cleanse yourself by the power of His grace. Now can we look at that scripture that I brought up right at the very beginning tonight? 2 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, the 5th verse. Look at this. Look at this. This is out of the Amplified Bible. I want you to read this carefully. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and show the proper fruits of it. Test and prove yourselves. The question we asked tonight was, are you saved by grace? I think the real question we should have asked is what? Do you see the fruit of grace in your life? 
Are you living like Jesus? Are you living a godly lifestyle? The question we ask tonight is, do you know God? Do you remember? The question we should have asked is, does God know you? Look at Matthew chapter 7, and I will close on this. Jesus said, Therefore, by the fruits you'll know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. How does a person do the will of God? By the power of what? I didn't hear everybody. By the power of what? I didn't hear everybody. By the power of what? We do the will of God by the power of grace. Watch this. Many will say to me in that day. Do you see the word many? Do you notice it doesn't say a few? Do you notice it doesn't say some? Now, listen carefully to me. I went to the Greek dictionaries and I looked this up and I found out this means a very vast number and some of the Greek dictionaries said it means majority, 51% at least. I had six pastors in the church correct me one time because I used to say that this was a lot of people but it definitely wouldn't be the majority. Keep the scripture up there, please. And they sat down and they read it right out of the lexicon. They said, John, it means majority, over 50%. If you remember the ten, parable of the ten virgins, five were foolish. Not one, five, half of them. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we, see the word we, our church. Did not our church prophesy in your name? Did not our church cast out demons in your name? Didn't our church, we, do many wonders in your name? Man, we were, we were Christians. And Jesus said, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or you who do not do his commandments faithfully. Notice the word practice. Everybody say practice. Doesn't mean the person that's struggling to get free from something. They're crying out to God. They're genuinely repenting every time they fall into a sin. It means the person that sins and goes, well, you know what? I'm covered by grace. I'm not talking about the people that are saying, God, I want to follow you, and there's things that are being worked out of their lives. Because there are things that I struggled with. I remember one thing I struggled with for six and a half years. And God delivered me. It took six and a half years of fighting. But every time I'd fall into that sin, I cried out to God. And in May of 1985, God set me free. I'm talking about the people that just go, Hey man, I'm saved. I'm in the youth group. I prayed. I'm even going to the desperation conference. But they're living like the world. And they all the while, they're just trusting in a grace that's not the true grace of God. They believed a lie. They're deceived. I'll end it one more time with what John said. Look at this next frame. I think we will have one more frame. Set first John. Jesus said he did not know them. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know Jesus and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, I preach what you've commanded me to preach. And I thank you. Holy Spirit for helping me tonight. Now, Holy Spirit, as young men and women examine their own lives and their own hearts, I pray that you'd reveal Jesus to them. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, 
I know you came in here tonight fully saying, I am a Christian. But God, through the Apostle Paul, gave you an exhortation. And I uttered those words. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. I've walked you through the New Testament writers. I've showed you the full story of His amazing grace. Some of you sitting in here tonight, there's questions that arose, even fears. Let me tell you, that fear is not from God because let me tell you something. If God sent Jesus to die for you, do you know how passionate He is about saving you? So don't even think for a moment that God doesn't desire you. He's passionate for you. Think of it. He died in your place. He shed His blood in your place. He tasted death in your place so that you could have eternal life. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you a true believer? If your heart was to stop right now, would you be in the presence of God? Because there are only two places you can be. There are only two places when we pass, and that's hell and that's heaven. There is no purgatory. There is no limbo. Well, John, I'm just not sure. I hope so. I really hope I'd be in the presence of God. Let me help you tonight. If you don't know for sure that you would be standing in the presence of Jesus, then you are not saved. How do you know that, John? Because 1 John 5.19 says, those who are saved know it. You want to know why the people that are truly in saved in here tonight were not shaken by what I preach? Because they know they're saved. They were sharpened, they were encouraged, they were exhorted, they were corrected, but they know they're saved. But there's others of you in here tonight, you were shaken. Why? Because you've never truly given your entire life to Jesus. But John, I believe in Jesus. I believe He died on the cross. Yeah, the demons believe, the Bible says, but they're not saved. But John, I love God. Well, if you really love God, you would have dove into His Word to find out what He desires of you. Because this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. What's happened is you've made up a Jesus. You've conjured up a Jesus in your own imaginations that is not the real Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you've fallen in love with that Jesus. But if you died tonight, if you, your heart stopped beating, where would you be? John, I just don't know. Well, listen, I have great news. You, you don't have to leave this auditorium tonight without knowing for sure. How do I get saved, John? How do I get ge truly, genuinely saved? Listen to me carefully. By receiving Him as Lord. Everybody say, Lord. Now, listen carefully to me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Most people don't understand what Lord means. First of all, the Bible never said if you confess the Savior Jesus, you'll be saved. The word Savior is mentioned 36 times in the Bible. The word Lord is mentioned over 7,000 times. Where do you think God puts the emphasis? The Bible never said if you confess the Savior Jesus, you'll be saved. It says you shall confess the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And Jesus made the statement, why do you call me Lord, yet you live your life as if you owned it? 
What does the word Lord mean? It means supreme owner. Supreme in authority. It means you give him ownership of your life and he becomes your supreme boss. Listen to me carefully. It's no different than a woman walking down an aisle when she gets married. When she's walking down that aisle, what does she say? She says, goodbye, Jim. Goodbye, Jeff. Goodbye, Tim. She's saying goodbye to all of her old boyfriends. And she's saying, this is the man I'm giving my heart to for the rest of my life. She gives her entire heart, soul, and life to that man. Will she make a mistake the first day she's a wife to him? Probably. Does that not make her a wife anymore? No. But she's still given her entire heart and life. Well, let me tell you something. If you give your entire heart and life to Jesus tonight, that grace will come into your life. And that grace will not only change you, it will change you, not only change you inside, but it will change your life it will give you the power to walk like Jesus walked. You're sitting in here tonight and you say, John, I am so fed up with being on both sides of the fence. I'm so fed up with saying I'm a Christian but really still living and giving part of my heart to the world and my worldly pleasures and my worldly desires and my worldly lusts. And, 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 and I, I want to give myself completely to His Lordship. I want to give my life to Him forever. If that's you, I want you to raise your hands up high right now. If that's you, put them up high. You say, John, I want to be sure tonight. I am not sure. Now, many of you are saved in this place. You don't need to put your hands up. But I'm talking to the people that say, I want to be sure. I want to give myself completely to Him. I prayed a sinner's prayer once. It was a half-hearted prayer. But I want to completely give my life to His Lordship. Those of you, your hands raised, stand to your feet right now. Stand up. I want to make this really clear. Those of you that are standing, what you are saying is, John, I've prayed a sinner's prayer. I've kind of flirted with walking with Jesus, but I've never given my heart completely to Him. Completely, 100%. And I want to do that tonight. That's you standing up. If that's not you, sit back down. If there's sin in your life, you're a believer, and you say, you know what, I'm a true believer. I've given my life. There's some sin. I want you to sit down. I want to talk to those people that say, John, I've never truly, really given my life to Jesus. You stay standing. Okay? Those of you that are standing, I want you to do something. I want you to make your way to the aisle. I want you to come down here. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want the rest of you to give them the biggest hand. Come on. Come on. Come on. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.